Good evening and welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pitch. Thank you so much for being here with us. Coming up in today's broadcast of the Catholic View, we'll be talking about homophobia with theologian Notando Hadebe. But before that, we begin as usual with some of the stories making headlines in Africa and beyond with Mahadi Butelezi. So do stay tuned. Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, for a change. Bringing you your news headlines from Africa and beyond, Pope Francis's message to peace-building conference, Church in North Africa directed towards sub-Saharan Africans, and golden opportunity for Africa to leapfrog into green future. Good evening. Pope Francis has sent a message to the participants in a major conference sponsored by Pax Christi International, the Catholic Peacebuilding Network and the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace, exploring the theme Non-Violence and Just Peace, contributing to the Catholic understanding of and commitment to non-violence. Christopher Wells reports. In his message to Pax Christi participants, the Pope wrote that they must renew their positive contribution using all the tools available to realize the aspiration for justice and peace. Stressing the importance of reconciliation, the Holy Father said that Pax Christi and the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace were committed to facilitating the reconciliation between peoples of different ideologies and to political struggle for social and economic justice. The Pope underlined the fact that conflicts cannot be ignored or concealed and said that to abolish war was the ultimate goal of the human person and of the community, adding, we must accept and tackle conflict so as to resolve it and transform it into a link in that new process which peacemakers initiate. In his message, Pope Francis went on to say that as Christians, we also know it is only by considering our peers as brothers and sisters that we will overcome wars and conflicts. Furthermore, he added, we know as Christians that in order to make this happen, the greatest obstacle to be removed is the wall of indifference. This phenomenon of indifference, he said, has touched not only our fellow human beings, but also the natural environment, with often disastrous consequences in terms of security and social peace. However, in an upbeat note, Pope Francis stressed that indifference could be overcome, but only if, in imitation of the Father, we are able to show mercy, a mercy, he concluded, expressly in solidarity, that responds best to the awareness of the scourges of our time. I'm Christopher Wells. Following the International Criminal Court ICC's decision to terminate the case against Kenya's Deputy President William Rutter and former journalist Joshua Arab Sang, who were facing charges of crimes against humanity in the post-2007 election violence, Kenya Conference of Catholic Bishops, KCCB, issued a pastoral statement to the media on the state of the nation in which they tackled current issues affecting Kenya. 
In their pastoral statement, the bishops make specific mention of endemic corruption in the police service and other security agencies and call on all Kenyans to shun corruption. Other issues in the pastoral statement include the condemnation of political alliances based on ethnicity. The bishops urge Kenyans to tackle cultural radicalization among the youth and malpractices in national school examinations. Hundreds of Loreto Convent School children, together with their teachers led by Archbishop Martin Kivuva of Mombasa, planted over a thousand trees in Pope Francis Forest in Kenya. The tree planting exercise was organized to coincide with Environment Day that was commemorated last week. Nairobi Classics Association, together with world musicians, have organized a series of concerts in a bid to raise funds for Ghetto Classics, a group of street children from Korogocho, Kenya. Ghetto Classics was launched in 2009, and today 300 children have access to a musical instrument. The community itself admits that Ghetto Classics has had a huge impact on children. To mark the Day of Street Children in Senegal, observed on the 12th of April, a new game entitled Cross Dakar City to raise awareness about the plight of many children was launched in Senegal. Cross Dakar City is the name of a video game that highlights the serious situations in which some Senegalese children live. This video game is also used to offer social awareness by telling stories, teaching, and in many cases to raise awareness of the real situations that happen in other parts of the world. Some Senegalese parents who are unable to support their children send them to the Quranic schools or Dara in Dakar, where they hope they are given room and board in addition to the teachings of the Quran. However, it has been shown that many of these children begin to be exploited and forced to beg on the streets by teachers of the same schools. The situation is recreated in Cross Dakar. The aim of the game is to guide children in the search for their biological parents. The Episcopal Conference of North Africa, CERNA, has concluded its three-day plenary held in Morocco. In a statement sent to Fides News Agency, the bishops of North Africa said the faithful in sub-Saharan Africa are becoming more and more numerous as they represent between 50 to 90 percent of communities. Morocco has chosen to turn to black Africa and to integrate the sub-Saharan Africans living on its territory. Opening of borders and the multiplication of airlines towards sub-Saharan countries, regularization of undocumented persons, sending children to school, care for all in public health institutions, Islamic religion courses for non-Muslims, the possibility for foreigners to set up businesses and to repatriate capital. There are many signs of openness in the country to the south as to the north. All this is a challenge and an opportunity for the church in North Africa, but at the same time, it is a joy for the church as it becomes more universal, less European and rejuvenated, said the bishops of North Africa. There is a golden opportunity for African countries to leapfrog over rival economies into a green future. That's the message from the Chief of the Economic Commission for Africa delivered at UN headquarters on Monday. 
Carlos Lopez was launching the 2016 Economic Report on Africa, which this year is entitled Greening Africa's Industrialization. Matthew Wells has more. Conventional mass industrialization with its risk of pollution and waste could be avoided if the continent adopts a greener economic future based on sustainable energy and carbon-reducing technologies, the meeting heard. Launching the report was a collaborative effort, with the UN Special Advisor on Africa, Maged Abdelaziz, paving the way. He said that while industrialization had long been seen as the key to job creation and tackling poverty, now a new way forward was clear. The report reveals that Africa's economic growth has been marked by waste generation and significant energy and material intensities, all of which have driven resources scarcity and led to high production costs. As a result, the report argues that African countries should leapfrog traditional business as usual, carbon-intensive methods of growth, and instead pursue a pathway to green industrialization. He said the key to achieving green industrialization lay in investment, including ambitious projects for sustainable cities, climate resilient roads, bridges and dams. He left it to Mr. Lopez to explain why the continent now had an edge in a truly green transformation and how it could be achieved. There is a golden opportunity for Africa. The cost of producing energy from renewable sources is now equal in costs as producing from fossil fuel. Every other region that industrialized had to go through the fossil fuel route. Another golden opportunity is the fact that Africa is going to be the continent with the largest demographic expansion. If the type of consumption partners that are instilled when you are industrializing are already related to a green type of consumption, you have a gain that others will have a long way to catch. The meeting heard that not only was the continent obliged to follow through with individual country commitments to the global climate change and sustainability agendas agreed last year, but there were also regional agreements to honour. The African Union's Agenda 2063 is a 50-year transformation plan and, added altogether, the time was ripe for Africa to seize the day, said Erastus Wencher, Deputy Chairperson of the African Union Commission. He warned that the flight of mainly young men north from sub-Saharan Africa was a wake-up call to governments across the continent. We will not only be solving this problem, but will also be helping us in many ways, all of us globally, because transformation of the African economy is a must, without which many of what we see, whether it's migration or whatever it is, will continue to be with us. In a sign that the momentum will continue throughout the year to focus on sustainable development in Africa, it was announced at the launch that a high-level forum will take place on April the 20th on the theme of the Africa we want in 2030, 2063 and beyond. Life-saving humanitarian assistance is being provided to people in northern Somalia as they continue to face a severe drought. Two UN agencies working in the region have reported. The UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, and the World Food Programme, WFP, are working in tandem to address deteriorating access to food as well as rising malnutrition in Somaliland and Puntland. The assistance they are providing includes food aid, nutrition programs, and health services, in addition to supporting communities to access safe water. They're also working to keep children and teachers in school as dropout rates rise and families are forced to migrate. The UN has appealed for $105 million to assist some 1.7 million people in Somaliland and Puntland, the majority of whom are pastoralists. 
The annual number of people newly infected by HIV around the world has dropped in the past 15 years, but the virus has resurfaced in the gay community. That's according to experts, researchers and human rights defenders belonging to an advocacy platform backed by the UN. Meanwhile, the epidemic has expanded uncontrolled in bisexual and other men who have sex with men. In June, a UN high-level meeting on HIV-AIDS will be held to fast-track the global HIV response in order to end the AIDS epidemic by 2030. Jocelyn Sambira has more. Living as an unemployed, gay, bisexual or man who has sex with men in Nigeria can actually be a death sentence, according to Michael Igodaro, a program and policy assistant for AVAC, a global advocacy program for HIV prevention. A controversial bill banning same-sex relationships passed in the West African nation in 2014, leading to a crackdown on lesbian, gay, bisexual, and homosexual people. Igodaro, who fled the country in 2015 following a brutal attack and death threats, shared the story of his former gay roommate, Daniel. Uh, I remember a day Daniel came to my office after he asked the doctor. He said to me, Michael, I just lost my job because my boss suspects I'm gay. He said, the one issue for me now is how to take my ARVs without a job. I sat there and looked at him and said, Daniel, these two shall pass and you shall be fine, without actually knowing if it will be fine. Daniel recently passed away from AIDS-related complications, he said. More than 70 countries around the world still criminalize same-sex activity and relationships, says Thomas La Silvia of the U.S. Global AIDS Coordination and Health Diplomacy Office. The U.S. President's Emergency Relief AIDS Program, PEPFAR, which works to expand access to HIV services to LGBT people by creating accepting environments, has programs in some of these countries. Here's La Silvia. When we look to some of our own PEPFAR-supported countries and the challenges of many people at risk for HIV infection or who need access to care, They often live under the threat of political and institutionalized discrimination and violence. We believe that we will not achieve an age-free generation unless we support true equality and dignity for all and shine a bright light on the places where stigma, discrimination, and gender inequality continue to fuel the epidemic. Unfortunately, Thomas La Silvia says, there is a lack of global political will. There's a concern that countries are downplaying the epidemic among gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men community, warns Nadia Rafif, director of policy at the Global Forum of Men Having Sex with Men and HIV. She's hoping bold and new targets for HIV treatment and prevention come out of the high-level UNAIDS meeting in June. It's time to assert that without new investment, there is a real a very real possibility that the epidemic will rebound, causing the unnecessary deaths of millions, particularly gay and bisexual men. So we are here also because we worry. We worry that maybe it will be the last high-level meeting on HIV. We worry because some governments have lost interest on HIV, and we want to be sure that they will be here for the declaration. And we worry because... We will be in trouble for the next five years it's if everybody is not uh, committed to have a strong declaration. Representatives of governments worldwide are expected to issue a strong political statement or declaration to the global response to HIV.
And these have been your news from Africa and beyond. Have yourselves a very good evening. I am Mahadi Butelezi. You're still listening to The Catholic View. Thank you very much for being here with us. And of course, our thanks goes there as well to Mahadi Butelezi for bringing us up to date with some of the stories that have made headlines in Africa and beyond. Coming up in the broadcast, we're talking about homophobia. Homophobia is the hatred or fear of homosexuals, that is, lesbians and gay men, sometimes leading to acts of violence and expressions of hostility. Homophobia is not confined to any one segment of society and can be found in people from all walks of life. Theologian Notando Hadebe has recently attended a conference about homophobia. She talks to us about the outcomes of that conference. The meeting was called Homophobia and Churches in Africa. And I think this meeting, this, this meeting was really urgent because what we see happening um, is not only violence against um, you know, homosexuals, but also we are seeing in some of the countries, like the decisions by the bishops, uh, like in, uh, in, in Malawi, where there's a support for criminalizing um, homosexuals. And, um, and also we see also in Cameroon and Nigeria uh, a zero tolerance coming from the bishops for, you know, for homosexuals. And, uh, and, and the issue really is that can we um, as Christians encourage, uh, you know, hate and um, exclusion of uh, part of our community? Because homosexuals didn't, don't just fall from the sky. These are people's children. These are brothers and sisters. These are, are human beings like us that, you know, need the dignity and the respect. If we are saying that all human beings are created in the image of God, how do we then turn around and justify uh, discrimination? And, and not only that, but turning a blind eye when we hear and witness violence against uh, gays and lesbian brothers and sisters. The meeting was ecumenical. Uh, so it was all the, many of the Christian denominations were there. Um, and, and there were also uh, LGBTIQ people. That means that, um, you know, all, there were representation from gays, lesbian, intersex, uh, bisexual persons. So it was wonderful because we were in a room as brothers and sisters uh, talking about the pain, listening to, you know, the pain that many experience because of the exclusion and because of the use of particular biblical texts to, you know, to uh, almost uh, uh, judge their sexuality and judge who they are. Um, and so there was that kind of listening. And I think one of the, the symbols that was there was that we had the Simelani family. Now, their daughter uh, was, uh, you know, was uh, killed and uh, raped and, um, you know, stabbed nine, nine times because she was lesbian. And this happened in Soweto in 2008. And she was a member of the, uh, the national soccer team, Manana Manana. Um, and so her parents were there. And, uh, and so to have that uh, embodiment of, of, of what happens when we 
uh, you know, when we exclude groups, when we create a context where hate becomes the norm because somebody's different from us. Um, you know, we, especially we heterosexual people, we, we assume that there is something special about us and, and that gives us some kind of right to be able to judge um, and exclude those people that are, are also created that way by the same God. And so it was very moving in, in that respect. And so the whole thing uh, that, that came out, really that there is a need to look at uh, the, the theology that is being used uh, to, to demonize uh, the LGBT community, particularly when people quote from Leviticus, they quote some of the sayings of the Apostle Paul in Romans, um, so one gets the impression uh, from these ways of interpreting the text that even God, uh, you know, judges or detests uh, people that are not, you know, people that are homosexuals. And yet when we look deeper, for example, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is really used um, to, to, sing, to sort of like signal to people that you see uh, God hates homosexuals. That's why, you know, the, the, the city was destroyed. But when we look at the reason for that, and I think we find that in Ezekiel, we are told that it was because they did not care for the poor. And so a, a whole biblical um, uh, sort of like courses need to be given uh, in order to actually interpret some of these texts in their context so that we have a richer understanding. And what was so interesting was to have the, the exhortation uh, by Pope Francis coming on the last day of the conference. And his whole attitude and his whole spirit uh, towards, uh, you know, difference is one of non-judgmentalism, one of accompaniment, one of accepting people and not doing any form of violence. Um, and so the, that is really the spirit uh, that, that, you know, that this was done in. What was the yes. final outcome from from all religious gathered at that meeting? What's the way forward with regards to homophobia? Yes, I think the first thing is that the hashtag was churches don't hate, to start off with that. And then the second one was to look at the language. You know, when we are talking about homosexuality, what kind of language are we using? Um, you find activists are using human rights language. But I think as churches, we want to be able to use the human dignity language, the language of equality, the language of love, the language of family, the language of, you know, of grace, and the language of mystery. Uh, because we don't really understand fully the mystery of sexuality. And we need to talk within the framework. So language was a big thing. And also to challenge any kind of language that, that would create spaces for hate speech. Because sometimes when we're talking about homosexuality and God judging, it almost sounds like hate speech. And I think that, you know, that is what really the churches were saying. That's why they, they had the hashtag, churches don't hate. And then the second uh, was to say, we need to listen. There was a powerful drama uh, by the LGBTIQ group where they kept saying over and over again that we need to listen. We need to listen to stories. We need to listen to parents. We need to listen to siblings. We need to listen to science. We just need to step back and listen and be humble enough in the face of mystery and something we don't understand and not rush to judge not rush to hate, not rush to just denounce. In fact, to, to, to put away our stone-throwing theologies 
that are always ready to condemn. So that was the thing, to create that space for listening and for bringing, um, you know, the voices into the church space so that we sit and we listen to mischief. And then the, the third uh, uh, sort of way forward was, again, that, that I'd already mentioned, the theologies, the importance of, you know, rethinking theology, going back to those texts, that those stone-throwing texts that people grab and they use to attack uh, you know, homosexuals and, and condemn homosexuals to reinterpret those texts in the light of the liberating um, message of the entire gospel where Christ calls all of us, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever uh, category, human category, we are all called uh, to live in the fullness of God. We are all called to follow particular ethics yeah. and we are all called to follow our conscience. So there is the, the language, the, the rethinking of theology, mm-hmm. and even to visit uh, those subjects at uh, seminaries. So the seminaries that were represented there are going to relook at how they teach sexuality, LGBTQ. Uh, but then, you know, the whole thing is that we need to, 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 to have a different um, uh, sort of uh, uh, representation in the public. People should not associate homophobia with churches and Christianity and God. Well, we've run out of time, Notando, but I'd really love to continue this conversation with you. Only next time, of course, I'd like us to look at how do we change the mindset of very traditional African communities when it comes to the LGBT community. Absolutely, because, you know, there's this, um, you know, combination where people think that uh, LGBTI is un-African. In other words, you cannot be, to be African is to be homophobia without realizing that even amongst, you know, traditional African communities, there were, there were people that had different sexualities, but then they were just so accepted in the community that there was no need to ostracize them. And so the whole debate of something being an African, it also needs to be challenged as well, you know. All right. Well, Nontando, thank you once again for your time and for always keeping us up to date with matters uh, that concern humanity as a whole. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's a, it's a privilege for me. Thank you, Sheila, for giving me the space. Thank you, listeners, for listening. May we continuously be a community that puts love, dignity as our trademark. So churches, Christians, God, do not hate. And that was theologian Notando Hadebe talking to us about homophobia. Hope you enjoyed the broadcast. Thank you so much for listening. And that brings me up to time. You've been listening to The Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email. It's shayla at radioveritas.co.za. Catholic View will be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pirsch. <music>